Man, I want you to put down on your calendars as well, the end of this month, October 30th, the last Wednesday of this month, we are going to have a fall festival here at church. And um, a couple times this summer, we just had a um, uh, get-together here on Wednesday evenings, and it worked out really well. We're going to have a chili cook-off. How many of you can make chili? Then the rest of you need to buy some chili. <laughs> chili. No, no chili in Argentina? No. But you need to um, bring some chili. We're going to have a chili cook-off. That's what's going to be our food that evening. We're going to have hay rides and a pumpkin patch for the kids and um, just some good fellowship. We've got lights that we're going to rent to light the field up out there. We're going to have an um, um, inflatable movie, uh, inflatable screen with a movie playing Charlie Brown's Thanksgiving. And so bring back some childhood. How many of you grew up with Charlie Brown? Yeah, see that? Those that grew up with Charlie Brown should bring chili then on the 30th. So that's just going to be, we're going to have three more weeks. Then we're going to take a little bit of a break. Just come together. Why do we do that? Just for fellowship, to get to know each other, to um, um, just grow as a church together. Uh, how many of you enjoyed Fellowship Sunday this past Sunday? Wasn't that good? And it's nice just for our church family to get together and um, just minister together, pray together, um, talk together, get to know each other. And uh, we live in a busy, hectic world full of stress, full of anxiety. And um, Lord, um, I think, wants us to come together and be the friends that we need and the support that we need. And so we do things like that just to, to build our church up. And uh, I think it's great memories. I, I grew up in church, and I love memories of growing up and um, getting in trouble in church. And so your kids, I, I hope they have the same memories, you know, and and enjoying, enjoying church. So, all right, Philippians chapter number one. Philippians chapter one. We're going to look at Philippians tonight. Then we start a series um, next week, as Nate had mentioned, and he'll, he'll start that next week. Um, and uh, my wife and I, if you pray for us, we leave to go see Jacob. He graduates next week, and so we're going to uh, help help him get home, I hope. Um, and so you pray if you would for him. But Nate's going to uh, begin that series and teach that. And I know he's going to do a great job. How many of you want to study your Bible even better than you currently do now? I try all all the time. I, I'm always trying something new, something different to dig in and learn and grow. And so uh, I, I know it's going to be a great series. It'll be six weeks and just that week right in the middle. Um, that our church family would just come together for fellowship break in between. All right, Philippians chapter number one, and um, I want to uh, read for you. Uh, we're going to do just kind of maybe an overview of this and, and why this is written, where it was written, and um, and just look at kind of an overview of this, this book this evening. In verse number 13, well, we find in verse number one, let me just go there, Paul um, is the author of, of this book. And so we know the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. In verse number 13 of this, of this uh, book, we'll find um, of this chapter, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace in all other places. Paul is writing, uh, we believe, uh, many believe that Paul is writing from uh, when he talks about palaces there, and then look with me in verse number 23 of this same chapter. 
For I am in a strait between two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. In chapter number 4, in verse number 22, Paul says this, Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me um, greet thee. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. Where's Caesar's household found? Not a trick question. Rome. Paul is in bonds, and Paul is there at the palaces there. Paul is in bonds. Paul knows in chapter number one, tells us he knows he's going to see Christ. And so it's believed that Paul is in Rome when, when Paul is writing to the church here at Philippi. And this is important to know because Paul is there and he realizes this is going to be probably his last stop. He's going to die in Rome for his faith. He is, he's going to be executed. Paul understands that, and Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. Now, Paul is at a place in his life where he knows he's going to be executed for his faith. But I want you to think about Paul's life leading up to this. Paul has spent uh, time in prisons, uh, the, the, the jail there at Philippi, we know of, the Philippian jailer that uh, was saved that evening in his whole house. Paul has been, he's woken up on the bottom of stone, a heap of stones. He's probably been killed and stoned for his faith. Paul has been beaten. Paul has been shipwrecked. Paul is, is uh, 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 in, in, and uh, anybody in here ever been shipwrecked at all? I can only imagine it's probably a very, very uh, stressful event in your life. I'm sure it wasn't fun. I'm sure I've been on a boat when a storm came and uh, we weren't shipwrecked, but it was scary, and it was not something that I want to do again. I couldn't imagine being in a place where you're shipwrecked, not knowing if you're going to live. There were many instances in Paul's life leading up to this event in Rome where Paul wasn't sure of the next day. Paul was left for dead. Paul was abused. He was lied about. He was betrayed. Close friends of his that that once traveled with him, uh, there was a, a, a breaking up. So Paul went through so much tragedy, so much pain, so much suffering. He's at the end of his life, and Paul writes this, this letter to Philippi. And it's, uh, it's important, though, to understand everything I just said. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. The church at Philippi was the first founded, it was the first church founded on European soil. Go with me to Acts. Keep your place there in Philippians. Go with me to the book of Acts in chapter number 16. Acts chapter number 16, and um, we're going to find Paul on his missionary journey comes to this place of Philippi, Acts chapter 16, and we're going to start looking in verse number, um, uh, let me see, let's just for sake of time come to verse number 12, and from thence to Philippi, you see that with me, he comes as he's traveling, he comes to Philippi, which is a chief city in the part of uh, Macedonia and a colony, and we're in that city abiding certain days. It's important, again, we're going to come back to what Philippi is all about. And there, um, he, in verse number 14, he, there's a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple. It, um, she is the first convert that we find that Paul, when he's there in Philippi, that he uh, uh, gives the gospel to. She's a merchant. Now, why is this so important? Because Philippi is a major colony for Rome in those days. Philippi was not just a village, not just a small town. It's not a, not a, not a farming community. It's not a village where they were fishermen and they, you know, kind of, this was a major colony, a major city in, in the Roman Empire. 
This was a place, a, a, um, a, a major trade route. People would come to this place, like this lady by the name of Lydia, she would come to this place for wealth. She'd come to this place so that she could um, uh, uh, gain wealth, she could gain reputation, she could build her business. And so just imagine the, the hectic, the hustle and bustle of a major growing city, um, a, a colony of Rome. People are coming in um, and living under a major amount of stress, a major amount of, of um, strain, and they are doing everything they can to get ahead in life, to grow, to make money. This is probably a place that had great sin because of all the merchants that are coming through. Um, and Paul comes to this place being led by the Holy Spirit of God to leave Asia to come to this place, and this is the place, the first church, that is actually established on what we would know as a European soil. This, this Roman uh, military colony, it was a, a major trade route. It was a home to many wealthy merchants like Lydia, and um, Paul comes, he establishes um, uh, himself there, he witnesses a lady by the name of Lydia, is saved, and a church, a church begins to grow. Now, it's believed this, that this book is written um, 60 AD or so, and it was 10 years prior that Paul had visited there at Philippi and established his church. So this church is about 10 years old or so when Paul writes this letter back to the church. All right, you with me so far? I don't want to bore you with lecture, but it's important. I want you to understand this background of this book because when you understand where Paul's at, what Paul's doing, this church, where this church is located, then we better understand why the purpose of this letter. Paul is, is not at all. He's not condemning wealth. He's not attacking profitable commerce. He's not going to that city and, and attacking people like Lydia. He's going to this city, and he's reaching them with the gospel because what they're searching for, they're searching for there, here's, a, here's a group of people in a city that's searching for something. They're searching for hope. They're searching for wealth. They're searching for satisfaction. They're searching to become something. They're coming to this major colony because they have something they're trying to achieve. And you know what they're finding? None of it fulfills. It's hopeless. Paul is at a place in his life where if Paul was, if somebody could get a pass on being a miserable person, I think we'd all agree if we looked at Paul's life, we'd say, all right, we, we, we can let Paul slide a little bit. I mean, all that Paul's been through, if he's going to have a, a bad life, let's, let's just let him have that and still say he was a great apostle. But Paul was not going to settle saying, you know what, I've been through all of these things, and um, so therefore I'm going to spend my last days miserable in prison. Paul is writing here in, in, in writing this church, and the purpose of this church is joy, true Christian joy. How to find satisfaction, how to find peace, how to find joy in your Christian life when nothing is going your way. It's important. I know what you're saying. Didn't you teach on joy a couple weeks ago? I did, but that was from another area of the Bible, right? Because I want you to understand what was happening here, please. Paul is, is um, um, he emphasizes this. He's going to emphasize through this book, he's going to emphasize the preeminence of Christ in our life. Here's, here's a city that's hustle and bustle. Here's a city that's growing. Here's a city that's a major merchant city. Here's people like Liddy that are coming and selling. Here's people that are coming and finding, trying to find their way 
and coming up empty. And Paul is going to, in this entire uh, book, he's going to show them everything is about Christ. Everything. Everything that we do has got to be about Christ. There's no way to find joy in your Christian life without Christ. And I know you say, well, we have Christ from salvation. I'm talking about Christ being center in your life, in every area, in your marriage, in your home, in your work. There's nothing we're doing that is trying to fill a hole that only Christ can fill. And so often, even those that are saved live a life where they're trying to fill something, trying to fill a hole, trying to fill some void in their life, and they're doing it apart from Christ only to find this, they can never fill that hole. It just gets them farther and farther away. I believe this, that every, every God puts it in the heart of, of men to want to, to wanna help me. That God looked at Paul, and, or, 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 or I'm sorry, Adam, and said, it's not good that you're alone. I'm going to be a help me. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with a great, godly, healthy marriage. But even a great, godly, healthy marriage doesn't ever fill the hole that Christ is going to fill in your life. Because you don't have to be married to have joy. But you do have to have Christ to have joy. Children, wonderful thing. But not, if you can't have children, then you say, well, I can't have joy in life. No, you can, you can, you can have Christ, and that's where you find joy. In, in our job, in, 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 in our friendships, and in power and prestige and building and growing and in all the things that we as humans naturally do because we're human beings, we're always trying to find satisfaction, joy, and there is areas of our life that are never going to truly be filled that can only be filled with Jesus Christ. And that's where we find Paul writing to the church at Philippi. He surrendered everything to Christ. Look with me in chapter number three and uh, um, verse number four through six. Paul says this, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. Paul is writing, Paul is going to be um, a the best of the best. This is what he's going to write here. Listen to what he says. Though, um, though I also might also have, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath where, whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. He says, if there's anything, if there's anyone that thinks they're, they've got something going in the flesh, I, I, I'm, I'm more. And what do you mean by that? Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the best of the best in Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. Paul is not bragging on himself saying, I'm somebody. That's not what he's doing here. What Paul is saying is this. If there's somebody that can find satisfaction in something other than Christ, it would have been me. Because I, I, I've been raised by the best of, of families. I, I know the law. I'm, I, my, I, I come from great stock. I mean, if you want to look at a family, I came from a great family. If you want to look at my education, I've got the best education you can have. If you want to look at my credentials, I've got them all. In these areas, I'm not lacking anything. He goes on to say this concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteous, which is in the law, blameless. He says, I got it all. But what he didn't have was Christ. You can have all of those things and something is still missing. You can't fill that hole with a, the best education you can have. 
You can't find, you can't build that hole with, with, with the best pedigree. Well, I've come from a, a great family. I have such great learning. None of those things are going to give you joy in Christ. And Paul, he learned this, that he had to surrender everything to Christ. And please, please don't miss that this evening. Please. Where every one of us must come to this evening is this. Our lives have to be totally surrendered to Christ if we're going to have joy. In every area. In every area. And Paul learns this. He could say that to, uh, in verse 21. Look, look with me in verse 21 uh, of chapter number 1. He says this, the, this famous verse, For me to live is Christ. Into what? To die is gain. He says in verse number 13 that uh, his chains are in Christ, he, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and, 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 and in all in other places. And, and he, he could count all things but loss, he says in chapter number uh, 3, verse number 8. And the Lord had taken hold of Paul. Look with me in chapter number 3, verse number 12. Um, he says this, now, not as though I had already attained Either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may be apprehended that for which also I am apprehended for Christ Jesus. Paul is saying everything, my entire life, I've just given it over to Christ. I'm not living for anything else. I'm keeping Christ in the center of it all. And Paul is writing this, and why, why did I start with that introduction? Why did I say all that? Because Paul's at a place that he is dealing with great suffering. Paul's at a place, if he had an excuse to give up on Christ, it would have been Paul. If Paul was at a place of total frustration and just total, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm done with where this has gotten me. Before I was saved, I was somebody. Now that I'm saved, I've endured nothing but heartache and pain and sorrow. But what Paul didn't have before he was saved, when he was somebody, he has now when he's enduring great sorrow, and that is what? Joy. And so you look at a guy like Paul and say, now, I don't understand. You were, you were a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews. You came from a great stock. You had it all. You had a great reputation. People followed after you. Remember, he was the one in, in that was just like busting doors down, and people were following after him, and he was somebody. They, they looked up to Paul in this crusade to, to, to get rid of these, these false doctrine Christians that were uh, coming up all over Jerusalem and Samaria, and Paul was after that, and people were following Paul. Paul was a known person. But Paul didn't have joy. Paul meets Christ. And Paul faces death often. Paul meets Christ and Paul's life is not what he thought it would be. Paul uh, uh, um, uh, accepts Christ and, and now he finds himself shipwrecked and in prison. He now finds himself as he's writing this letter knowing that he's going to die for his faith. He's, 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 he's beaten his, his body is worn and broken. But now, in this position, in this condition he finds in his life, he has joy. You would think, no, you would probably have more joy in, when everything was going the way you wanted it to go. No, Paul found great joy in a life that he wasn't prepared to live. How is that? Paul longed for his friends to enjoy this, this experience with Christ. The life that Paul is living, he wanted his friends to also live. 
Not necessarily, I want my, you know, he's not one of those, you know, I love you so much, I hope you get beaten tonight too. No, it's the joy he has in Christ is what he longs for them to have. The relationship with Christ, the, the, them putting Christ as center of all that they do, the joy that they have. And if that means they have to go through affliction to have that joy, then go through the affliction to have that joy. Just don't live a life absent the joy that Christ wants to give. That's what Paul wants the church here at uh, Philippi to understand. Paul, I want, I want to give you, I want to just give you some key verses through through this ver, uh, through this chapter or through this book. And I want you to, if you would please, I want you to write these down, and I want you to, I'd love for you to memorize some of these verses. But if you can't memorize these verses, I hope and pray that you'd at least live these verses. How many of you want to have a joyful life? I know I do. Today, this week, um, I, I mentioned to my wife, I felt like I felt like I'd get done with, you know, I normally have a schedule. I live by a schedule. And my week, when I looked at my schedule on Sunday night, it had it looked nothing like the schedule that I've lived the last three days. I've, I've talked with a lot of folks. I've dealt with a lot of hurting people, people that are sick, and some even things that I'm not even at liberty to share with you, some things that are happening in people's life, some heavy events. And um, through all of those things, the Lord just continues to remind me that we can have joy in the midst of frustration, we can have joy in the midst of trials. We can have joy in the midst of, of, of persecution. We can have joy in the midst of a life that just seems like it's out of control because the joy that we find is in a person, not in a situation. That person is Jesus Christ. I want you to go with me, to, if you would please, to Philippians chapter 1, verse number 6. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 1, verse number 6. The Bible says this, being confident... Of this very thing. Of what very thing? Being confident of this very thing. Putting my confidence in this, he says, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That verse is such an encouraging verse. It's encouraging on many levels. And let's again, let's look at this verse again. This is something that Paul is confident in. He's not confident. He didn't say, I'm confident I'm going to get out of this place. I'm confident that all of my problems are going to go away. I'm confident that, that all right, it's, 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 it's been so bad for so long, things have to get better. And, and, and I don't say this to discourage you, but, but that is just psychobabble. That's not truth. You say, well, listen, it's bad, so there's only, there's only one way up. It's up for you. You know what? Some things in your life might not get better. It might not. We, we pray and we hope that somebody that's sick gets better, but you, you know what? The Bible tells us, all of us, that one day we're going to face death. Listen, there might be something that God is allowing in your life that it, that situation in itself may never get better. And you say, that's really depressing. No, what I'm trying to say is this, though. It's not the situation we find ourselves that we take joy in. It's this fact in verse number six that Paul says that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. Christ, the moment you got saved, he has begun to work in you. 
He's begun to create and mold and, and develop. The plan he has for your life is his plan. He's begun a good work in you, and you know what the Bible says here? He's going to perform it. That means this, you can't do anything to improve your life. And don't we work hard at that sometimes? We put a lot of, we put a lot of, of thoughts and stress and aggravation, and, and, and we try to plan things out, but this is what Paul surrendered to. It's not me that's planning my life. This is Christ's work for me. And it might not all be enjoyable. It might not all be what you planned. It might include things that if you could design your life, you would never put in there. But you're not the one designing your life. Christ is. And it's his good work, and he's going to perform it. And, and he is the one that's going to work. What we have to do is learn to find joy in what he's doing, not find joy in a circumstance in our life. And, and so Paul is learning this. He says, it's Christ that began that good work, and he's going to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And simply means this, if you are still breathing, Christ is still working in your life. If you're still alive, how many of you are alive here tonight? If you didn't raise your hand, tell the person next to you, raise your hand. We're going to send Scott to give you a CPR, you know. Oh, every one of us are alive, and if you're alive, that means Christ is still performing his work in your life. He's still doing something. That good work that he started. When we say good work, well, that, but what I'm looking at isn't good. Well, the Bible says that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. What your situation that's happening in your life, it may not seem good, feel good. It might not be what you have wished, but if it's Christ doing it, it's going to be a good work. And for God, for Christ to, to perform a good work in you, it doesn't always mean that good, the way we see it, has to be what we, we have. It doesn't have to be our way. You see, we have a, we in our mind as human beings, we have what good is. Good would be the bills are always paid. How many of you would say that's a good thing? Mortgage is due and there's money in the account to pay it and a little extra. Hamburgers, we don't have to settle for hot dogs tonight. Life's good. Hey, we need gas. Don't worry, we've got money. Life's good. Hey, the electric bill came in. Don't worry, we've got money. Life is good. I just walked into work, and the boss told me how great of a worker I am, how much he loves me. He just gave me a $50,000 raise and a promotion. Life's good. Life is so good. I'm living in the house of my dreams, and I have the dogs of my dream, and I have the kids of my dream, and I have the spouse. I mean, life is good. That's not the same good that he's talking about here. What he's talking about here is he plans your life. He, he is the one that, that charts your life out. The good is for his cause and for his glory, not for you. You say, well, then why would I want to live a life for Christ if it's not going to benefit me the way I want it to be benefited? I'm glad you asked. Because Paul goes, continues to say this in Philippians 1.21 Again, I read this, he says this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul learned this, that the only life that a Christian can live that has joy that's worth living is a life lived for Christ. 
And hear me, Christian, the reason why is this, is because we are not living for this world. We're living for eternity. And that right there is what messes most of us up. Because every time a problem comes, we get our mind on this world. We get our mind on how it affects us here. We get our mind on the problems and the stresses it's caused here. We get our thoughts and we get disturbed and we get anxious and it, it's, not, it's not flowing with the plan that I had and this is not where I want to be in life. And, and Paul learned this, for me to live is Christ. The best life a Christian can live is in Christ because it's there. It's there where we have a proper understanding and thinking of eternity. You're living this life right here for eternity's sake. We are not living this life so that we could live 60, 70, 80 years here upon this earth just to have what we want to have and then, oh, eternity's after this. We live this life for eternity in mind. We live this life so God receives glory out of our life. And Paul says to live is Christ and to die is gain. I want you to go with me to chapter number two in verse number five. Are you with me still? Chapter two, verse number five, Paul says this, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. How in the world do I get out of my stinking thinking? How do I get out of my selfish attitude? I'll speak for myself. Most of the time that my feelings get hurt, most of the time that I get upset, most of the time that um, um, I'm bothered, it's because I'm selfish. I don't like how that situation affected me. I don't like how they said that. I don't like how they dealt with me. I don't like how I feel. I don't like that they cut me off. I don't like to share the road with someone else. I don't like, I don't like that they're not going fast enough. I don't like that they're making me wait. I don't like that's costing me money. A lot of the reason we don't possess the joy in life that we ought to possess as a Christian is because we have a very selfish mindset. And I know you say, that hurts my feelings. I know because you're being selfish. <laughs> and Paul said this. Paul said this, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. How does Paul keep from getting bitter? Let, let, let's, just, let's, let's just be real. If somebody came up to you and, and, and tonight and came in this room and said, you're a follower of Jesus Christ and I caught you preaching Jesus and they beat you for it, how many of you would like that? Dave, would you? Hey, do that again tomorrow. Same time, same place? Oh, we would say, but Paul found himself in the Philippian jail singing praises to the Lord that night. Paul found himself where he was released by an angel. He finds himself in the presence of the Philippian jailer, and he leads that Philippian jailer to the Lord and goes back to that Philippian jailer's house, and his whole household gets saved. That's not because Paul 
was thinking in his own human reasoning. It's because Paul, the advice he was giving the Philippian church is the same advice that Paul lived, and it's the same advice that we need to live, is let this mind be in you, which was also Christ Jesus. We've got to have the mind of Christ if we're going to have joy. We've got to stop looking at life is about me, and we've got to start looking at it through the eyes of Christ, through the mind of Christ. Because when we look it through us, every negative event that happens in our life, we internalize and it's self-centered and it's, and it's processed through our, our, our selfish motives and our selfish minds because we're human. And we then miss out what Christ is doing. Listen, Christ gave you the spouse that he gave you. Christ gave you the job that you have. He placed you in the church that you're in. He gave you the family that he, you have. He also allows the trials that you have. I think of, the, I think of Job. It isn't ironic that God says to Job, it wasn't Job that said to God, hey, can I go affect Job? He said, um, God said to Job, have you considered my servant Job? What, what, what did Job finally have to do? He had to have the right thinking. We can possess the joy that God desires for us to have in the midst of any trial, in the midst of any complication, in the midst of anything in our life, in the midst of the most, most devastating event in our life. We can have joy, but we must let this mind be in you that is in Christ Jesus. You've got to have the mind of Christ. How do we do that? Glad you asked that. Look with me in Philippians 3.7, if you would, please. In Philippians chapter 3, verse number 7, the Bible says this, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. The things that were important to me in life, I counted lost for Christ. I'm not living for the things that I once lived for, now that I'm a child of God. I'm living for Christ. I want Christ to be known. You see, it was vitally important in Paul's life that Christ was known. Paul saw it, that he was in Rome, that he was going to give his life, that he was, he was going to die there in Rome, but Paul saw it as a good thing. You know why? Because it was his opportunity to give the gospel in Rome. We look at it like, I, I, I'd look at it like, I can't believe I'm in Rome. I can't believe I'm going to die. I can't believe I'm in prison. I'm serving Jesus, and I'm finding myself in Rome. And Paul says because he's got the mind of Christ, because he's thinking uh, uh, like Christ would, he says this, the things, the things that were gained to me, I count them for loss. You know why I'm in Rome? Because I get to preach the gospel in Rome. I get to preach the gospel to Caesar. God's got me in a place. He got me in this situation because people in this situation need to hear the gospel. And he got his eyes and his mind off of him and his problems. And he could have the joy of the Lord because he realized that it was God that placed him there so that God could do his good work through Paul so others would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul was one that likes his, whether it was his, his pedigree or his training or his everything that he learned, he was somebody, but none of that matters. None of that matters. 
And in order for us, Christian, in order for us to have that joy that we can have, not that we hope that we have, you can have joy tonight. I mean, real joy. You, you can, and you say, but you know what I'm dealing with. I understand, but in your situation, you can have great joy. But you've got to do as Paul said, that I, uh, what things were gained to me, those I counted for loss for Christ. I'm not looking to gain things. I'm not looking to, to that list, that bucket list of things. If I can accomplish everything on my bucket list in life, I'm going to have a great life. Paul said this, whether I accomplish those things or not, those, are, those aren't gained to me any longer. Living for Christ is. Listen, that, that verse, that understanding, it will change a Christian's life. Because we chase things in life that don't matter. When I was a, when I was a kid, I had, like, I was, I was real young. I had... I had a little notebook that I, that I got. And in that notebook, I wrote down everything I ever wanted in life. I mean, I, had, I, had, I remember I wrote guinea pigs, you know, um, a guinea pig cage, you know, a fish tank, you know, things that kids would write, you know, knew, knew this, knew that, baseball cards. I mean, and it was whenever I got a job one day, I'm going to buy everything on that list. I mean, it, a spaceship. I mean, it, you just name it. As a little kid would have it on there. Is I had it on that list. You know what I realized? None of that matters. The, the reality, though, is many of us as adults, we now have a list of what we want in life. And if that matters more than living for Christ, we're never going to find joy. See, Paul is at a place with a woman named Lydia. Paul's at a place, a major merchant city. Paul's not putting down anybody that has things. What he's, what he's going to help us understand is this. It's not the things that we need to live for. You can have those things, but if you're living for those things, you'll never find joy because those things will never, ever fulfill. Never fulfill because you're never gonna get enough. Your new truck, one day is gonna be an old truck. You want a new one again. It's the way it is. Your, your new house, sooner or later, is gonna need repairs. And you know what it's easier to say? I've said this to my wife, let's just buy a new house. Sure beats me having to paint. <laughs> sure be, but we like our house, but I don't like to work. It's falling apart. It never satisfies. And we do go through life, if we're honest, many of us will go through life and we're looking for the thing that satisfies. And we find the thing that satisfies us for the moment. You know what we realize? It doesn't satisfy the next day. How many of you have ever had like an expensive, good meal at a restaurant? I mean, my wife and I, we went to a place. One of our favorite is a place called Ruth Chris. Anybody ever hear that, uh, Ruth Chris? They have them all over. And um, we'll go there for an anniversary or something special. And um, so I like that. Michelle doesn't like it. And it's not that she doesn't like the food. She says, it's a waste of money. I said, but it's so good. But she said, it's a waste of money. Isn't it amazing that you go to a place like that and you spend money like you would never spend before and you eat this wonderful meal and you know what you find tomorrow? 
you're hungry. There's no meal, no matter how much you ever spent, no matter how good it ever was, that satisfied you more than that day. You're hungry the next day. Listen, there's nothing in life that is going to completely satisfy you, that's going to give you joy, that's going to stick with you all of your life. Eventually, it's going to wear out, grow old, leave, whatever, except Christ. But it isn't amazing, isn't it amazing, the things that we live for? Isn't it amazing the things that we fight for? Isn't it amazing the things that we have been in conflict with other people over for us to get only to find that once we have them, it's not worth it? Paul says, what things were gained to me, those I counted for loss. He says this, look with me in Philippians 3, 14. He says this, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul has the right mark in place. I press toward the mark for the prize. What is that prize? How many of you have ever, have ever run before? You've been involved in a race, a marathon. You walked, you ran, you crawled, whatever. Anybody? A few of you? When you start that race, what is, what is your goal? What is your prize? What is the place you want to end up at? The finish line, right? Now, what if on the way there's a guy standing there, and as you're running past, he opens up his coat, and he's got Rolex watches. Hey, you want one of these? It's real. You would say, no, that's not my goal. I've I've got the right goal in place. I've got the right finish line in place. I'm not stopping along the way to find things that might be shiny, might be appealing, but they're not important to me because my goal is to finish at that finish line. Sometimes I think we as Christians, we get our mind on the wrong finish line. The shiny things, the problems, the situations, we get our mind off of what the the goal is. Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize of what? The high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's what he's doing in my life. It's what he, who he is, is that prize that I'm constantly pressing toward. And Satan's going to throw things in, and my flesh is going to throw things in, and just simply living in this sinful world is going to throw things in. But I'm not going to get sidetracked by those things. I'm going to keep my, my mind on that prize, and that's the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Look with me. I'm going to hurry here. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. He says this. How do I do this? How do I live that life? The Bible says, let your requests be made known unto God. Just think about that verse. Let your request be made known unto God. How many times have you needed something, desired something, and you went to someone other than God to find it? We're going to something else. We're going to someone else. You ever find it? Isn't it amazing some things that you find like on social media? Isn't there some amazing things you find about people? 
Paul learned this. In order for me to live for Christ, in order for my mind to be in Christ, I've got to let my request be made known unto God. I've got to have a relationship with God to where he knows what my desires are, what my requests are. And then he says this, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding should keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. How do I keep that peace? How do I keep that, that, that peace that passeth all understanding? How do I keep my heart and my mind through Christ Jesus? By simply letting your request be made known unto God. It's the one that we have to go to. Let, let me go to this verse. Bible says this in Philippians 4, 8. Look with me in Philippians 4, 8. He says this. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, think on these things. I'm going to ask you today, how many of you thought on true, honest, just, pure, lovely, and good reports, and that's all you thought about today? When's the last time you turned on the news and it said, hey, it is, it is 90 and sunny today and, and life is good. Every single person in Toledo got along today. Every old lady going through the door had a door opened up for her. I mean, there was no crime. There's nothing, no problems. Life is good. There, there, unemployment is 0%. I mean, Toledo is the greatest city to live in all of America. That's what's happening in our city. When's the last time you turned the news on and you heard that? Now you turn the news on and you hear how many people were killed and how many people have been, been, been molested and raped and how many, how many people are in jail and who, this problem, that problem, and taxes are too high and this person's getting impeached and this person. I mean, you just found out all this nonsense and we're constantly putting that garbage into our minds. Hear me, those of you that have children, we just recently, we just recently cut our DirecTV. And for, for, for numerous reasons, one is, is I'm looking and saying, why are we paying for garbage? And, and, and I, I've already, I know there's already people that think I'm weird because we don't let our kids have cellular devices in their room. But I'm watching my teenage girls. It got to the place where the only thing that was on anymore that was worth watching, that I said was worth watching, was like Hallmark and Fox News. Then I watch those two, and it's not true and honest and just and pure and lovely and good report. And I, I walked in, and, and so I'd watch one channel, and, and my girls would watch the other. You can figure out which one it was, I hope. So I'd walk into the living room, and there's my girls all cuddled up on the couch, like with a pillow, as they're watching this Hallmark channel, people falling in love and just, I mean, just... And, and, and they're all like, and my youngest is like, ah, they're kissing again. Oh. <laughs> We've got to do our part to put things in front of us that are true. We've got to put things in front of us and our families that are honest. If you want to raise young people that sincerely love the Lord, that sincerely have a good grasp on what reality is, that have a love for this word, then you've got to put the right things in front of their eyes. You've got to put the right things in their ears. 
You can't leave it up to someone else or something else to raise your kids. You cannot, parents, slack in the responsibility. It is your responsibility to raise your children where they have a good biblical sense of what truth is. Because as soon as they get out of this, this, this bubble and they get into the world and they're faced with things, they ought to know this is truth. And this is why, not just because, well, because I, I don't know, because I, I, my mom told me that and I always believe it. No, we've got to show them why it's truth. Why? We've got to put things in front of them that are honest. We live in a society right now, you can't even figure out what the truth is. And you know what I feel, uh, figure out with, with most, thing, most things like politics and all that now? If their mouth is moving, they're lying. That's how you know. Things that are just, things that are pure, things that are lovely, things that are of good report. We, we, we noticed um, in one of our kids, and, and I, I, I really, I love parenting. I, even when there's problems, I, I love it. It's, it's a challenge. It's fun. It's, it's watching a young person grow and be nurtured and, and um, even challenges. I, I, I just, I enjoy that as a parent. And we noticed in one of our, our children, everything was critical. Everything was complaining. I don't mean like horribly bad, but if it's any, it's bad. And so all of our kids, and I love having a bigger family because you see same house, same parents, same thing, different kid and it's different problems. I love it. It's just, it's fun. Not all robots, they're all different people. You deal with them all differently. We've had some that when they were a certain age, they lied. Not the next one didn't lie, but the next one is critical. And so we're dealing with one that just 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 complains. And I noticed it, and Michelle noticed it, and then her teacher noticed it. And when her teacher responded to us, I responded to their teacher this couple weeks ago, and I said, I just want to thank you for caring enough about my daughter that you would see something that needs to be improved upon and fixed because you're helping us as parents. I could have handled that so differently. But the reality is I needed to put things that are a good report. I needed to put things that are pure, things that are just in the mind and the heart of that child so that child can grow and be what God wants that child to be. And it, it's done on purpose. Paul chose not to get bitter in the Roman jail. Paul chose, Paul chose to let his mind be renewed in Christ in that Philippian jail. Paul chose that I'm not going to get mad at people and, and become the victim in life. I am going to overcome those things, and I'm going to find joy in what God has called me to do by, having the, the, by living for Christ, for having the mind of Christ, for making sure I'm pressing toward the right mark. I'm going to find joy in all those things, and I'm not going to let my thinking get critical, or you ever hear that stinking thinking? I'm not going to let myself get there. How? 
You've got to keep your mind on true, honest, just, pure, lovely, and good reports. If there's anything that you are putting in your mind that is not a part of that category, you've got to stop. You've got to stop. If you have somebody that's always telling you how bad your spouse is, you've got to stop that. If you have something in your life that is, is, is critical, you've got to take that out. If you have something that's constantly tearing you down and discouraging you, you've got to remove that so that you can keep your mind on these things that Paul said in Philippians chapter 8 so that you can have joy. I'm done with this, Philippians 4.19. And then it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's an understanding of who God is and what God's going to do, and that is this. Philippians, uh, Philippians 4.19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. I like first what Paul says. Paul said, my God. It's personal. That's what I think about God. It's like the, the, the old kid, my dad can beat your dad. My mom is better than your mom. My, they take personal ownership. My God, he can supply all your need according to what? His riches. And this is the part of the verse that to me brings such joy. Because his riches are limitless. It never runs out. You, you may, in your resources, go to the bank, and the bank says, overdrawn, nothing left. You got nothing else. Have you ever been to a place, even physically or emotionally, you say, I'm drained, I got nothing else, I'm done, I'm out? I have, there's been many a days I'm going home, I'm done. I'm finished. I, I've got nothing else to give. I've got nothing else left in me. I go home, and I'm just a zombie. I'm drained. If you call me on those days, you get nothing. My wife will say, did you hear what the kids just said? I have kids. I didn't even know that right now. <laughs> They're there. Who are you? I'm drained. I have nothing. You get to the place in your bank account, it's zero. It's nothing. I've got bills to pay. Well, there's nothing there. But my God shall supply all your need. Wonderful. But what's he going to supply based upon? His riches in glory. They're limitless. My God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. It doesn't say he owns a, th- a thousand cattle on a hill. He says he owns a thousand hills. <laughs> it's limitless. See, I can have joy in Christ knowing this, that every single thing I need, he's going to supply and he never runs out. He never says, the bank's closed. He never says, you got me on this one. I can't help. He never says, wait a minute, wait a minute, your problem's too great. I can't help you. See, Paul says, I can have joy in the midst of whatever I'm dealing with because whatever I'm dealing with, God is going to supply. And his supply never runs out. He's the bank that prints the money. Never runs out. Prints as much as he needs. It's still worth something. 
You see, I can have joy knowing where my needs come from because I don't have to work. I don't have to gather. I don't have to, to get in that rat race to try to figure my life out. When I come to a place where I can't figure out life, I don't have to stress myself trying to figure it out. God said, I'll give you what you need. You need a sound mind? I'll give it to you. You need peace? I'll give it to you. You, you, you need joy? I'll give it to you. You need rest? I'll give it to you. You need emotional stability? I'll supply. Everything you need, I have. And I never run out. When you see a God that way, knowing no matter what I'm through, God, you're going to supply, I can have joy. There is an outcome that can produce joy. But our minds have to be on Christ. Father, help us, I pray tonight. Use this